I'm excited to be with you on this second installment of our newest series, Angels, Demons, and Dead People. Uh, if you saw uh, last week, or you're here, you heard last week on our podcast uh, the sermon about angels. Uh, you noticed that this sermon series is different in a lot of ways. One of those is that this is going to be more of a systematic treatise through the scriptures. We're not going to be staying on just one text the whole time. We're going to be looking at a, a plethora of scripture passages in order to give you guys a pretty good treatise on the topic at hand. And uh, this week we are talking about demons. In fact, uh, this week is going to be different even again from last week because honestly, you guys heard a lot about demons last week because you heard a lot about angels and angels uh, that have fallen out of grace with God that have rebelled against God like we have rebelled in our sin. Angels that have rebelled against God, they then become demons. That's what we call them. They're just fallen angels, fallen out of the grace and service and mercy of God and are now they're at odds with God. And so we're going to spend our time today talking about that at different levels. Um, but the good news is, is that even if you have had an experience where you were overwhelmed or you went through a fearful time about demons or you've heard of people being possessed and that stuff freaks you out, or maybe you've never really thought about it, the good news for you today is that even though we're going to talk about demons, we're going to talk about what they can do, what they can't do, who they are, who they're not, uh, at the end of the day, um, they have been defeated already because Jesus Christ defeated them on the cross at Calvary. And so we have a God that is all-powerful and that is all good toward us. And that while we were still sinners, God sent his son Jesus to live the life we could not live, to die the death on the cross that we should die under the full wrath of God that we deserve for our sin. And he died that death so that then in his victory, in defeating death, he could rise in that victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell, and that he could then carry us to be with him. He didn't do that for the angels that fell. He did that for us. Now, I don't know why we get that grace and they don't, but it's a part of God's perfect plan. And today we're going to look a little more into those creatures that he created that we call demons that are angels that have fallen. I want to start off in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Um, you can go to that one. I'm going to hit so many different passages, I don't think that you'll be able to keep up with me. So if you want the notes, email me, text me, call me on the number in the bulletin there. I will get you a copy of those notes. Um, but let me just start off by reading Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Good to know. You know what, let me back up a second here. This whole book of the Ephesians, we've been walking through this off and on. And uh, this book of the Ephesians, it's what theologians would say, biblical theologians would say, it's a perfect book to develop an ecclesiology out of. That means it's the perfect book to look at to say, what should we be like as the church? The first three chapters are all the, the depth of who God is and what he's done for us, especially in Jesus. The last three chapters are now, what do we do in light of that as the church? Uh, and so it, it's kind of unique that we see at the end, the end of this letter that Paul, under the leading and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing these words to the church. It's all been about how to be the church, how to live, how not to live, how to, how to tr understand God's plan and his glory in light of that plan. And then we see, I'm going to start in verse 10 and go to verse 12. Then we see here that he just brings it into this spiritual awareness of what's going on around us that's almost like out of left field in some ways. As so a look at this as he ends up. You think he'd be summarizing what he's been talking about. Instead, he encourages us to be aware of some things and what to do about it. Now, I'm not going to go into the, the whole armor of God part because we're going to study that in a few months from now. But right now, I'm just going to give us to verse 12. 
as it leads us off into our talk today. So chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not our might, but his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, in other words, so that, here's the reason, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Although Paul did some of that, right? I mean, Paul was stoned almost to death. Paul survived a shipwreck. Paul was thrown in jail. Paul was almost, uh, they had a whole riot that erupted in Ephesus because of Paul and the work that was going on there. But he says, we do not, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, Get ready, stand firm, put on the whole armor of the Lord that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against demons is what he's saying. Okay, that's what he's talking about here. And I want to take a moment to kind of break down some things about what demons do, what demons don't do, who they are, and and we're just going to push that into how we should see that and how we should live in light of these truths. So let me start off with a guy named Peter Shim. He's a commentary guy, and he says in his, um, actually in his systematic treatise of the subject, um, he's a Southern Baptist guy, he says, in the New Testament, the two most common designations for Satan are diabolos, which means devil, which actually means slanderer or accuser, that he slanders and accuses us before God, okay? He also slanders and accuses God of being unjust or being ungodly. It says that occurs, that word occurs 37 times in the New Testament. And he says, Satanus, which is where we get the word Satan, meaning adversary or opponent, that that word occurs 36 times in the New Testament. Jesus also identified Satan as Beelzebul, Baal, Lord of the Flies, and thus the ruler of the demons. In other places in the New Testament, terms that are used for Satan are like tempter, enemy, father of lies, murderer, Belial, prince of the power of the air. We studied that not too long ago. Prince of the power of the air. Um, Adversary, wicked one, great dragon, ancient serpent, and deceiver. These are all words we see where the person talking about This individual is talking about Satan, talking about the chief of the angels, the prince of the angels, the prince of the power of the air that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Or he's talking about the one who's in charge of this world here, lowercase g, the god of this world, okay, currently. And then Shim goes on in his treatise of the subject to systematically lay out how Satan and his demons work in so many ways. And I'm just going to take his list we're going to break that down for just a few minutes before we get into some further depth that we're going to do. So hang with me here. Let me just tell you some of the ways he lays out of how Satan and his demons work in many ways. These are all throughout Scripture. You can find these. Um, I can give you a whole list of Scriptures to go with it. I'm just going to hit on a few of those. But here's some of the ways in which Satan and his demons work in the world. Here's a few of those ways. One, opposing God. Playing out the opposer, the adversary, Satan. Opposing God. Whatever God's doing, they're against it. Right? That's how we say it down here. They're also slandering and accusing believers. You do something wrong, the enemy is right there saying, see, that one doesn't deserve your mercy. Okay? And that's when Jesus says, nope, my blood shed for him. 
but the enemy is slandering and accusing believers. Also, demons luring people to commit sin. Now, I just bump them all into demons because Satan is a demon. He's not God anti. Okay? He's not like the other God. We don't believe in a dualistic understanding of God and Satan. They are not equals. God created him as an angel, and he rebelled, and he's an angel still. He is not a God. He is not a, it's not a yin and yang thing where they're equal in force. One's good, one's bad. God is all-powerful, all-glorious, all-king, all-sovereign. Satan is a creature. Okay, make sure we're clear. But Satan and his demons lure people to commit sin. 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, Paul says, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter, Satan, had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Okay, so he's saying that Satan tempts us in sin. They also incite false worship. They get you to worship things you should not be worshiping. You may think, I don't ever do that, but we do. Anytime we give our money towards something, we give our heart towards something with that, anytime we give our affections towards something, our time towards something, we are in danger of worshiping that thing or person. So we need to be aware that we oftentimes might be not worshiping God, but worshiping ourselves. They incite that. It'd be whispering in your ear, saying, yeah, go ahead, it's good for you, you deserve that. You know, whatever it might be. Also, you're not going to like this one. We see that in Scripture, demons do sometimes inflict physical suffering. We know that to be the case. We also know that they are liars, all the time lying. In fact, John eight forty four, Jesus says, you, talking about the Pharisees, religious leaders, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You hear that? It's like we talked about before, we are children of wrath before we meet Jesus. Well, Satan, out of his character, he is a liar, therefore he lies. It's from within it comes out. Jesus talks about how it's not important what goes in, it's about what comes out of the heart, not what goes into the belly, right? Demons also are scheming evil continually. Evil is just the opposite of doing good. Evil is whatever distracts you from glorifying God. Do you understand that? Put that in context for you. Evil is not just like bad things people do that we all say are wrong. Evil, biblically, would be classified as anything that does not move you towards loving God more or giving Him glory. Anything that distracts you away from that. They are scheming evil continually. They also blind unbelievers. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, they are actively trying to block people from seeing Jesus for who he is, blinding the eyes. Also, they are enslaving unbelievers. Galatians 4.8. Paul says to the church, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You see? He's basically saying, if you're not for me, you're against me. About Jesus. Okay? If you're not for God, you're against him. And so you're either enslaved, Romans 6 says this, you were enslaved to your sin, then God comes along and frees you from that, and now you're enslaved to God. 
That's the language used there. If you're going to be a slave to something or someone, what's it going to be? Who's it going to be? The benevolent, loving God who gives you life eternal so you can have joy beyond your understanding or to the things that only want to hurt you and destroy you. It's one or the other. They also are disguising evil. They make it look good. You know what I'm talking about. They make things look good that are for your bad. In fact, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen through 15, Paul says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. He says, it's not surprising if false teachers start acting like they're all righteous because that's what Satan does. That's who their father is. They hide the bad and make it look good so that you'll want to be a part of it. They also are continually in opposition and are actively opposing the progress of saints of those who have been redeemed, the, the church, believers. They are opposing you. They will be opposing you. We're going to break some of these down later, so just hang with me. Also, they are hindering godly ministry. They will do whatever they can to keep you from making much of Jesus and bringing other people into the fold of God's family. They will do whatever they can. You may think, well, that's crazy. We don't see them. We don't sense them. They are at work. Remember, we are not warring against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. We need to recognize that, he says. They also spread false doctrine. Demons spread false doctrine? Yes. Here we go, First Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So I can eat those awesome Reese's cups later. Should not be forbidden, babe. They are good, right? Look, what he's saying here is that people will start to listen to demons whispering in their ears saying, no, 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 if you're really going to be holy, you need to not do this or this or this or this when God says that's good and okay. I'm going to step into your toes a little bit, right? I'm going to press you a little bit here. Whether you do it or not, I just want you to understand it's okay if some people, hear me right, abide by Scripture and don't have extra rules. You know who added extra rules back in Jesus' day? Who were they? The Pharisees. The Sadducees, Yes. They added the extra rules. And so he's saying here, forbid marriage. Okay, None of y'all in here forbid anybody from marriage for the most part. But if he were to take that and put it in our day and say, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving, some Baptists don't know that in heaven when we get there, there's going to be a party. And they're going to have wine. And you're probably going to drink it. I'm just saying... When Jesus puts wine in front of your face, you're probably going to take a sip. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm not saying you have to do it here, but I am saying you need to be aware that don't be proclaiming that something needs to be abstained from totally if the Scriptures don't do that. 
We're either a people of the book or we're not a people of the book. The demons do that. That could be with anything, right? Fatty foods, steaks, too much red meat, you know? I'm just saying, if it doesn't say it in Scripture, you don't need to be making rules to push back on that. That's what the demons do. They spread false doctrine. How about this? Inspiring false teachers. In the same line, 2 Timothy 2 is next letter to Timothy. Paul says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Listen to this. If you're the Lord's servant, you must be not quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. In other words, if there is somebody doing something wrong, like saying you should abstain from this or that, you're not a jerk to them. You go and say, hey, I love you. You're leading people the wrong way. Come on back. You don't, our job as Christians is not to be right so that we feel prideful in our rightness. Our job is to win as many people back to Jesus as possible. That's our job. And so when we see here, he says, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But that won't happen if we're jerks to them. Do you understand? He may still do it, but it's not going to be through us. Demons also incite persecution. Why do you think in the darkest areas of the land, when Jesus' name gets mentioned, people get killed? Because he, the enemy, all of them will rise up and come against and create persecution. You don't think it's going to happen here one day? You're hedging your bets in the wrong direction. Deceiving the whole world. That's another thing they do. Deceive everybody. That's their goal. Deceive everybody, blind them, enslave them to sin so that God does not get glory from those people. What they don't get. And this is what, this is what sin is. Sin is crazy. Everybody knows somebody crazy. Sin is crazy. Crazy is when you know that what you're doing is not going to have the outcome you want, but you keep doing the same thing over and over again anyway. That's craziness. And that's what the demons are doing. They think that God's not going to get glory if they can do all these things. But I'll have you know that God will get glory even when he sends people to hell. God will get glory no matter what the demons do. They will not diminish his glory. But they're still trying to deceive the whole world because they want to destroy you. They want to destroy your friends, your family, your loved ones, your coworkers. They want everybody. Now, I'm going to give you some truths here. That was the list. I'm going to give you some truths here that are going to help us out with a few things. Because I don't know about you, but if you've ever experienced anything that might be close to being like revealed demonic world around us, a spiritual warfare going on, it might have scared you. You might know people that had these dreams that they just were terrified of and they knew it was something otherworldly. You might have people that you know that have experienced something that, that has to do with demons or something and they think it did. You think maybe they're crazy, maybe they're not, but I don't want to be a part of that. Or maybe you've had something personally happen to you where you just knew there was a presence around you. God pulled back the curtain a little bit so you could tell there was some kind of thickness. In fact, in Scripture it says that there is a, there's actually a gift from the Holy Spirit that some people have that you can, dis, you can discern between spirits. You can tell if it's a good thing that's going on or if it's like of the demon world. Okay? Um, now, who knows who has that for sure? And I think all of us at some level as Christians, the Holy Spirit in you can let you know when something's not right. You know what I mean? 
But I want to help you see a few things so that we can make sure we understand rightly. Because the more we understand rightly about these creatures, the more we understand rightly about their place in the world, and the more we can make much of the one who created them. And that's the one we want to make much of today, not of demons. Let me talk about it a little bit more. Let me give you some truths. Demons can be anywhere. You hear me? They can be anywhere, but they are not everywhere all at once. They are not omnipresent. What I mean by that is Satan can't be in this room and in Afghanistan at the same time. He is not omnipresent. He's an individual being. Okay? He, he's, he cannot be everywhere at one time. Only God is omnipresent. As a character of our creator, only he is that way. And demons can know a great deal about you, but they are not all-knowing. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to break it down in a few ways. They don't know the future. They don't know when Jesus is coming back, but they know he's coming back because he's told everybody he's coming back. And they may know some things about you. They can know a lot of stuff about you, but they can't read your mind. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit's living within you. There's no way a demon can be in you reading your thoughts. But they can watch your face as you click on a website and see how long you stay there and determine whether or not you're enjoying that. And they've had a lot of practice reading people because they have been alive for a long time. And they've got a lot of practice determining what people are doing and what they like. And they, they, okay, If you can roll down here to a gas station and swipe your card every Friday and get gas and a soda and a candy bar, and they can tell that on Friday you're about to pull in and get the same thing because of your creature of habit, you better believe that the demons that are around us know people well enough by now, and they know how to read you, and if they want to be invested in your life, they can see what's going on with you and read you and know what you're going to do, probably, because we're creatures of habit. And if you wonder about how these fortune tellers can tell you things about yourself and about how where you hid the money in the house and all that, if you don't believe a demon can know those kind of things because they're just there and can see things you don't know what's going on, then you're missing the point. We see it happen. One part of Scripture is a soothsayer, someone who is a fortune teller. And this girl is a fortune teller walking around following Paul and keeps saying, uh, these people, I think maybe it's Peter, I'm getting confused, you keep following them around and saying, these people are of the service of the Most High, service of the Most High, and it's distracting what they're doing. Finally, he gets tired of it, turns around and says, come out of her, and the demon leaves her, and her owners get mad because she can't do it anymore. Okay? So don't be thinking it can't happen. They can deceive you into sacrificing things in your life to them instead of giving everything to the Lord. Because they will make you think by whispering in your ear or by kind of directing your eyes to look a certain place because they like over here, over here, and distract you in something that your heart wants to yearn into. And now your heart's giving over into something that's anti-God. Anything that would make God sad that you're giving yourself to, make him angry, they can deceive you into sacrificing to them. And remember, you're either for them or for him, Right? You're for them or for God. You may not realize that, but that's what's happening. We'll see it in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 32, 16 and 17. The people stirred God to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods they had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. 
or 1 Corinthians 10, 20. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons. It's not to some animal. It's not to some God. Demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons, Paul says. You understand what he's saying? It's one or the other. If you're giving yourself over to something that's not glorifying to God, then you're giving yourself over to worshiping demons. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. It's one or the other. So then, therefore, brothers and sisters, guard yourselves. Guard yourselves with the truth of God's word by placing it in your mind, pouring it over your mind every morning, every night. Think on it throughout the day. Put it in places to memorize it. Sear it onto your heart so that when you see something that contradicts the word of the Lord, immediately you know that is not something for glorifying God. It's something for worshiping demons, and you turn away back to the Lord. Guard yourselves so that you cannot be deceived. In other words, as he would say, be holy as I am holy. Know me and make much of me, for in that you find great joy. That's a summary way to kind of say that. Here's another one. Demons can tempt you, but they cannot make you sin. So if you ever have said, the devil made me do it, it's not true. And if you've ever said, like, man, it's the de- if you ever give too much credit to the devil, what you've done is you have given away the credit for your sinfulness. And we are so sinful that it required a holy, righteous, good, perfect, immensely, infinitely valuable God to come here and die for us to bring us back to good. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's that bad that he had to die himself on the cross. That's how bad it is. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Are we brothers? Are you taking, are we taking every thought captive? Are we stopping and saying, no, I will not go there? Sisters, are we, are we stopping in our minds the moment we immediately think something we shouldn't think and saying, no, that's against Christ, that's demonic, I will not? He says, taking every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. John Piper talks about this. He says, God intends, listen to this, You may not like it at first. God intends that part of our preparation for heaven be a life of warfare with hell. Part of our preparation for heaven is a life of warfare with hell. He calls it a good warfare in 1 Timothy 1 and a good fight in 1 Timothy 6.12. It is good not because we might be killed, which we might. Revelation 2, we see that's a possibility. But because these firefights refine the gold of our faith in life and death. God is the great general in this warfare. He's given us the walkie-talkie of prayer to call for help. Take the sword of the Spirit, he says, which is the word of God, praying at all times. He sees behind enemy lines. God does. He He sees behind enemy lines and knows exactly the strategies that will be used against us. He has written them down in a wartime manual 
so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. The reason we will not be outwitted by him is that we are not ignorant of his design. This is how we will not be outwitted. This is how we will not be deceived. Knowing the word of the Lord. Like the back of our hand. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He didn't make you do it. We did it because we wanted to do it. To the worship of demons. Not to the glory of God. Thankfully, he gave us Jesus. And he wipes those sins away as far as the east is from the west. And he looks upon you with eyes of love and mercy and grace because his son paid the price for your sins so that you and I don't have to. Also, demons are powerful, but they're not all powerful. None of them are all powerful. 1 John 5, 19 We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The power. But God is still sovereign and all-powerful even over Satan. Not dualism. Monarchy. One king. In fact, Job 1. I'm going to look at two different passages. This is the first one in Job. Job 1, 6 through 12. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. That's the angels. Talked about it last week. Sons of God, remember? Okay. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Here's the accuser. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And he proceeded to murder his entire lineage, all of his kids. Destroyed his home, took away all of his lands, took away all of his crops, took away all of his animals. He had nothing left but a nagging wife, and she was nagging. And later on it gets worse. That's all he had left. Kids gone. Now, we can talk about a lot of things in that. And if you want to talk about it, we can go sit down and talk about it. But I'm going to focus on one part of it because of today's topic. Notice that demons are powerful, but the chief prince of demons could not touch Job. Could not do anything to Job until God said, you have my permission. God is the powerful one. And if you have your hope in Jesus... The Holy Spirit, God himself, resides in you. You have nothing to fear of the demonic. Because what can they do to you? Send you to Jesus earlier? Please, Lord. There's nothing to be afraid of. But let me do this warning if I'm going to be a good pastor. Let me warn you. Do not, please do not take it upon yourself to think that you can go head to head with a demon. 
Our job is not to put demons in their place. Our job is to but run to Jesus and beg him to do that heavy lifting for us. Jude 9, another crazy story I'm not going to get into. I'm just going to let you see it yourself. But when the archangel Michael, remember last week, Michael is the archangel who came in to help Gabriel when Gabriel couldn't defeat the prince over the, the Babylonians or the Syrians, okay, in Daniel 10. Daniel basically was praying for 21 days. And the angel finally showed up. Gabriel showed up and says, hey, sorry for being late. Uh, you've been praying for 21 days. Like, and that was, you prayed for me to fight this demon that was stopping me. And I had to call in Michael for backup. And Michael took him out, right? He's like the Delta Force. And Michael shows up here. He says, and when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay? That means you don't stand up and shake your fist at an angel. The angels, remember, who speak in the, the thresholds of the temple shake. The angels that show up in the Old Testament are new and people cower before them because they're powerful beings. You think you're big and bad until you're standing toe-to-toe with an angel. Okay? That's not our job. Our job is to say, the Lord rebuke you, not me. It's not in us. Let me give you this one. This is probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible for humor. I've said it before, but it's worth it. Acts 19, 11 through 16. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. It's all Paul talking about Jesus and like demons were leaving people. And they thought, man, we're going to get in on this. These are guys that traveled around and try to get demons out of people. We're going to get on We're going to make some money, right? And so they went over to a guy who had an evil spirit. That's the, the Bible language, by the way, for possession. And it never says possessed. The Bible never says it. It says he had an evil spirit. As they go into saying that he has an evil spirit, they say, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So the seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Seven guys. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize. But who are you? Eyes got real big, I bet, in that moment. Uh-oh. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I don't know about y'all, but if you get in a fight and you get the pants literally beat off of you, you lost. <laughs> right? And that's what just happened. Seven dudes against one guy with a demon. I'm just telling you, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. If you're ever in a place where you think somebody has a demon or there's demonic activity around you, get on your knees and pray over them. Pray for you. Pray that Jesus would do the heavy lifting. He's already defeated them on the cross. And he has all power. And when we say that by the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of the Father, we don't mean that you can tell them and command that demon to do something. 
Unless you just, I mean, you try it if you want. But I'm telling you, go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you have done this. Would you please redeem this moment? Take away these people's problems or take away this demonic activity. Protect us from the enemy. Please, Lord, because you have all power, not us. We don't declare it over people. We declare Jesus can do it. Be careful. We can edge into some really bad stuff. Yes, people can have demons like this man did. The side note. The idea is terrifying to say the least, isn't it? But if you've placed your hope and faith in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit dwells within you and there's not room in you for another. So you cannot have a demon in you if you have the Holy Spirit in you. It's not like they're warring within you. That's your flesh warring with your flesh, your spirit warring with your flesh, he talks about. And we're at war with things outside of us. But if you have the Holy Spirit, you cannot be possessed. You are God's redeemed child. If you are, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, there are some people, and I'm going to name a name today. I don't do this often. There are some people that believe that you can be a Christian and that you can have a demon in you. There's a guy named Derek Prince that started this ministry a long time ago, and it's about deliverance ministry. It's the word they use, deliverance. When you hear that word in ministry, you need to cock your head a little bit and you read a little deeper. Okay? Yes, we are delivered from a lot of things, but when you talk about deliverance ministry, you might have a, a demon in you, a demon of lust, a demon of this, a demon of that. And they say, oh yeah, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit resides in the Holy of Holies. And in the outer courts, you can still have a demon in there. And they're taking... And doing really bad exegesis. And they're making it sound like that, that you really are the temple of the Old Testament. That is not what's been going on here in that language. That language is saying that you have God residing in you. And therefore you are his. That's his seal on you saying mine. And a demon cannot fight him for that. Okay? It's like trying to stand as a wax figurine before a blast furnace. It's not going to happen. It will not happen. And this, all this idea of possession, exorcism, all these things. I, I know guys that I love and listen to that I trust that have spent their whole careers, old men, who said maybe once one of them has gone through a moment where they believe they were a part of trying to pray over someone who might have had a demon. You know what I'm saying? This is, we do not know what is real and what is not sometimes. I do believe it happens more than we know. And it especially does overseas when we're edging into the darkness in different ways. But here it's hidden a lot differently. Um, Millard Erickson, he, he suggests something. He's a commentator, a systematic theologian. He says, in actuality, Satan, the great deceiver, may be encouraging interest in demon possession. You hear that? He said, maybe Satan's getting us into demon possession and getting us real focused on it, in hopes that Christians will become careless about other more subtle forms of influence by the powers of evil. Let me get you caught up in this big stuff that you never really see and worry about and talk about when over here I'm really getting you distracted in all these other ways. That sounds like a smart way to do it. I digress. Demons can make you sick. But they can't take your soul. Job 2, 3 through 6. Satan comes back to 
the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. I don't understand why, but that's not my place. What I do understand is, is that it looks like demons can inflict physical suffering. They can even inflict murder. Killed all of his children. In fact, John eight forty four, Jesus says to the Pharisees, I said it before, I'm going to focus on another part of it. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. A murderer. Psalm 106, 34 through 39. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, talking about Israel. But they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed, listen, their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore for their deeds. They might take your life because they are murderers. I mean, think about it. Jesus is born. The king hears about another king coming. What does he do? He murders all the children in the age range of Jesus. That sounds like something a crazy person would do. Or maybe the crazy demons would encourage someone to do. We see other times in Scripture where the murdering of children. Here's as they sacrifice them. And are we any different in the Western world as we sacrifice our children for the sake of comfort? For the, for the sake of less responsibility? Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here and I'm preaching to the convicted, even the forgiven. But are we any different? We're still sacrificing to demons. And it's not just children, but that's still going on. And God hates it. And he hates it so much that he gave his son Jesus to overcome it. Because he loved those children that much. Brothers, demons will come against you if you are living for Jesus. But greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. Yes, demons are terribly frightening. But in Christ we have nothing to fear. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, the Bible says, but of power and love and of self-control. Yes, demons are powerful, but Jesus, the all-powerful Son of God, has already defeated them on the cross. They are done, finished. And yet they fight like they think they have something to bring. The threat of demons is real. But God has not called you into his kingdom to cower in fear of demons or anything else, brothers and sisters. He's called us to engage in the battle for life and death. For the souls 
of men and women, the children that are around us every day. And be sure of this, the enemy is doing everything he can to blind them from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's doing all in his power to take as many people to hell with him as he possibly can. But brothers and sisters, we have been saved out of his clutches and brought to life in Christ so that we can take up arms and fight for every last soul we can possibly reach with the good news of Jesus Christ as our sword. We do not fight for victory. We fight from victory because he's already won it. It's a sure battle. We have nothing to lose. And yet, too often we stand on the sidelines. Jesus won the victory on the cross, not so that we might be sidelined, but so that we might become part of the army of God. The army of grace and mercy. 1 John 3, 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And if we're being made into his image, then we too are here to destroy the works of the devil. And we do so by making much of Jesus before all. So let us fight for holiness, brothers and sisters. Let's fight for lost souls and put all our effort into knowing God and making him known. Romans 16, 19, Paul says to the church at Rome, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good. Here, listen to this. Listen to this. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. You hear that? Wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. John Bloom, he says it like this, None of us is a match for Satan and his demonic underlings. Remember, desiring knowledge of both good and evil is what got us into trouble in the first place. Don't be putting your time and effort into demonology or into figuring out which demons around you and what they're doing and how they're influencing you. Don't get caught up in those things. Do you understand? Don't, don't, get, don't get distracted by trying to dig deeper into this stuff we're talking about today with angels, demons, and dead people. And as we talk about demons, don't get caught up in that stuff because I don't, I don't think that's what we're intended to do. He says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Let the Lord worry about those things. And if we sense that we're being impacted by those things, we run to Jesus and we speak his good news. That's our part in the story. In the New Testament, the emphasis is not on the influence of demons, but on the sin that remains in the believer's life. So be holy. Fight those things. Let us not set our minds on the evil in this world, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So don't give your life to your job. Don't even give your life to your hobbies or to your comfort. But let us give our lives to Christ in this great war that we are in. This war. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. 
Let us give our lives to Christ in this great war for the souls of men and women and children in our community. For we are the messengers of reconciliation, chosen by God. You were chosen, every one of you were chosen by God to bring salvation to the lost in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Charles Spurgeon, speaking of the devil, said it like this. The preaching of Christ is the whip that flogs the devil. You want to defeat the enemy? Let us preach the good news everywhere we can. That will defeat the enemy. Let us preach it from the rooftops. Let us preach it in our workplaces. Let us preach it in our homes. Let us preach it in the places we play. For it is the greatest of all things that we could possibly give our lives for. For the sake of our souls and for the sake of those souls around us. Let us give ourselves to that. Demons will come against you. But the king of kings rules over them too. And he has already defeated the enemy. Let us revel in that glory and give him the credit that he deserves every turn, every place that we go. Father, we need you today to work in our lives to change us more into the image of Christ Jesus, your son, who was not preoccupied with these uh, evil beings, was not concerned with them until they were hurting his children. And then he went after his children. Lord, give us a heart to go after your lost ones. Give us a heart to love you because you first loved us. Lord, help us to see the things in our life that might be opening the door, that we might be leaning into the worship of the demonic instead of loving and worshiping you. Let us see where we are not living according to your plan for us, according to your word for us, and that we are living in ways that distract us from giving you glory and loving you and enjoying you. Those are the things that are evil, that are tearing us away from you. Lord, let us see those things that we might repent and turn to you. Lord, today someone here for the first time might hear that good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins after living the life we could not live in perfection so that we could then be brought into the family of God because of what he did for us on the cross, paying our debt of sin so that we could be brought into the family with you and enjoying you forever. If that is true today, if someone's first time hearing that, knowing that, that you worked in the heart, I pray, Lord, that they would turn their lives to you and that we would just praise you for it. Lord, for the rest of us that know you, we beg you to lead us to love you more and more every day because of what you've done for us in Jesus so that you get glory, so that we are filled with joy in loving and knowing you and so that the lost might come to know you and not be separated by the enemy. For Lord, we beg you to do what you want to do and let us be a part of it. In Christ's name I pray, amen.